Amen. All right, well, we're there in Esther, chapter number 8. And of course, on Sunday mornings, we've been going through this series entitled, For Such a Time as This. And it's really been a verse-by-verse study through the book of Esther. And uh, this morning, we find ourselves in chapter 8. And we are continuing, of course, this study. Usually, when people think of the story of Esther, the the story of uh, Mordecai and Esther in the Bible... They think of the narrative that we've been preaching through uh, between chapters 1 and 7. Generally speaking, when you talk about Esther, once Haman is hanged on a tree, the enemy of God's people, uh, people's minds think that the story is over. And if you have not been with us through the book of Esther, I would encourage you to check out our website or our YouTube channel, and you can catch up on the studies through the book of Esther. However, what we're going to learn this morning is that once Haman is hanged, the story is not yet over. Esther and Mordecai still need to deal with the aftermath of Haman's plans. They still are dealing with the uh, results of this uh, wicked man. In fact, you're, you're there in Esther. We're going to go through the entire chapters this morning, but I'd like you to just look down at verse number three, if you would. In verse three, the Bible says this, and Esther spake yet again before the king and fell down at his feet and besought him with tears. Notice these words, to put away the mischief of Haman, the Agai, and his device that he had devised against the Jews. See, uh, Esther and Mordecai are still dealing with the mischief of Haman. They're still dealing, and and we're going to continue through this book. We have uh, to preach through chapter eight and chapter nine and chapter ten, and there are things that God would have to us for us to learn from these chapters. In fact, in chapter eight, there are three lessons, as far as I can tell, three lessons that we can learn from this chapter. Very applicable, very practical to you. And I would encourage you to write these down on the back of the course of the week. There's a place for you to take some notes. And we, of course, always encourage you to take notes if you're able to do that, if you don't have a babysitting on your lap or something like that. I'd like you to notice in verse number one, the Bible says this, on that day did the king Ahasuerus give the house of Haman, the Jews' enemies, uh, enemy, unto Esther the queen. And again, if you remember, uh, Haman is a man who was the second in charge under the kingdom of Ahasuerus, and people had to bow down to him. Mordecai, who is Esther's adopted father, refused to bow down to Haman because the Bible forbids it. The Bible teaches that we should not bow ourselves down unto anything or anyone except the Lord. And as a result, Haman grew hatred towards Mordecai and his people and devised this plan. He tricked and manipulated and talked the king into passing a law which basically said, and we're going to talk more about this next week in chapter 9, that there was a day when they could hunt for the Jews or for God's people. There was a day uh, on the calendar where anyone who wanted to could go kill uh, the Jews in, uh, in, in the, uh, the empire here of uh, this Persian empire, and there would be no consequences for it. They would be allowed to do it. This was the, the plan that Haman uh, devised uh, to be able to bring his wrath upon God's people. And of course, uh, as we've developed this and as we've looked at this, God worked 
providentially and on the other side. And I don't have time to re-preach the previous chapters, but God has worked and helped and delivered Mordecai and Esther from the hands of Haman. In the last chapter, we saw that Haman uh, played hangman and God uh, hung for his uh, wickedness. Now, in this chapter, what we see is that the king gives the house of Haman unto Esther. Notice verse 1 again. And, uh, and on that day, did the king of Hazarus give the house of Haman, the Jew's enemy, unto Esther the queen. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was unto her. Up to this point, uh, the king knows of Mordecai. Mordecai actually saved the king's life, but he does not know of the relationship between Mordecai and Esther, and he knows it now. Look at verse 2. And the king took off his ring. Now, I want you to make note of that. In fact, if you don't mind writing in your Bible or underlining your Bible, I would underline that word, ring. And the king took off his ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it unto Mordecai, and Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. In verse 2 of chapter 8, we find that Ahasuerus has the ring that he had given to Haman. He takes that ring off of him before he is hanged or after he's hanged, and he actually gives it to Mordecai. Let's go back to Esther chapter 3 real quickly, just for sake of context. If you look at verse 10, I want you to notice uh, the, the emphasis on this ring, Esther chapter 3 and verse 10. And again, I won't take the time to preach through Esther 3. We've gone through it verse by verse. But in Esther 3, we have uh, Haman coming to the king, and he is talking him into uh, passing a law that would allow them to kill the Jews the king, unknowing that his own wife, Esther, is a Jew, Esther chapter 3, verse 10, and the king took his ring from his hand and gave it unto Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agite, the Jew's enemy. This is after Haman got the king to allow him to kill God's people. Now, I want you to notice something. Go back to Esther chapter 8. And look at verse number 15. Okay, we're going to go through the entire chapter, but I just want you to notice a couple of things. In, chap- in verse 3 of, uh, excuse me, verse 2 of Esther chapter 8, we saw that the king took off his ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it unto Mordecai. In verse 15 of chapter 8, we see this. And Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in, notice these words, royal apparel. And again, if you don't mind writing your Bible, underlining your Bible, I encourage you to underline those two words. Royal apparel of blue and white and with a great crown. If you don't mind underlining your Bible, underline that word crown of gold and with a garment of fine linen and purple. And the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. Here's what's interesting. I want you to remember these words, royal apparel and crown. Go back to Esther chapter number six. Esther chapter number six. Remember when Haman was ready to pull the trigger on his plan against the Jews and specifically against Mordecai. Remember that Haman came in on that day, on a certain day, he came in to talk to Ahasuerus, the king, and he came that he might talk to the king about hanging Mordecai. And the Bible tells us, as God worked providentially on the other side, that the night before Haman came, to ask for the death of Mordecai, that night the king could not sleep. And he asked for the books of the Chronicles to be brought in. And they read to him of the recent events that had happened in the kingdom. And they reminded the king that Mordecai had saved the king's life. And 
and, and the king asks, you know, what has been done for Mordecai that he's done this great deed? And of course, the answer was a resounding nothing. Nothing's been done for Mordecai. And now it's morning time and Haman comes in and Haman is going to ask that Mordecai be put to death. And the king asks this, Esther chapter 6, look at verse 6. So Haman came in and the king said unto him, what shall be done unto the man whom the king delighted to honor? Now the king is referring to Mordecai. But Haman, as we learned, is a very prideful man. And he makes an assumption. He said, the Bible says, Now Haman thought in his heart, To whom would the king delight to honor more than to myself? And Haman answered the king. I want you to notice, what Haman is about to say, he thinks the king is talking about him. He thinks the king is asking, you know, what do you think I should do for the man that I delight to honor? The king's talking about Mordecai. Haman thinks the king's talking about himself. He made that assumption. So we're about to see what Haman would like done for himself. Look at verse 7. And Haman answered the king, for the, for the man whom the king delighteth to honor, let the, notice these words, royal apparel, royal apparel be brought which the king useth to wear, and the horse that the king rideth upon, and the, notice this word, crown, royal, which is set upon his head. What is it that Haman wanted? Haman wanted a ring from the king. In fact, he got a ring from the king that would give him authority to be able to pass laws on behalf of the king. What is it that Haman wanted? He wanted the royal apparel to be put on him, the royal apparel that belongs to the king, that, that the king useth to wear. He wanted a crown royal to be set upon his head. Here's what's interesting. We fast forward a few chapters later to Esther chapter 8, and we see Mordecai, not Haman, with the ring, Mordecai, not Haman, with the royal apparel. Mordecai, not Haman, with the crown. Here's what's interesting. Mordecai got everything that Haman wanted. Amen. I mean, everything that Haman had set out to lie about, to manipulate with, to, to, to try to devise and, and, and steal and kill and destroy, everything that Haman did in his life to exalt himself, to, uh, uh, to, to, to go up the ladder, to step on people as he's climbing that corporate ladder. All the things that Haman wanted were taken from Haman. And Mordecai, who was lowly, Mordecai, who was humble, Mordecai, who didn't even mind who got the credit, as long as the king was saved, as long as the work, the work of God got done, it, it, it didn't bother him that no credit was given him and no award was given him. Mordecai, who's very humble, ended up getting everything that Haman wanted. Say, so, well, what can we learn from that? What's the lesson? Here's lesson number one we learned from this chapter. The way up is down. The way up is down. And we talked about this last week. The way down is up. You say, I'd like to be exalted by God. Humble yourself. I'd like to, you know, be able to have God exalt me. I'd like to have God raise me up. I'd like to have God. Here's what we can learn from this story. When Haman exalts himself, 
Pride, we talked about it last, uh, last week, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And, and we understand that the way down with God, to have God resist you, to have God fight against you, the way down is for you to lift yourself up. But here's another thought. The other thought is this, that the way up is down. You want God to exalt you? You better humble yourself. You want God to exalt you? You better humble yourself. Keep your place there in Esther chapter 8. That's our text for this morning. Go with me to the New Testament book of Philippians, if you would. Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians chapter 2, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Do me a favor and put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there in Philippians because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. Philippians chapter number 2. All throughout the Bible, we see this law. Last week, I talked to you about natural laws and spiritual laws. There are laws of nature that God has designed. Things like, uh, you know, the law of, uh, uh, of gravitiv- uh, gravitivity. I mean, there, there are laws of nature that are just true. We know they're true. Science proves they're true. But there are also spiritual laws. We talked about those last week. Laws like you reap what you sow. Laws like pride goes before destruction. These are spiritual laws that God has just said. These are true. Whether you're saved, whether you're not saved, these are true of everyone. Well, here's another law for you, and it is this, that the way up is down. In fact, the lower you go, the higher you'll be exalted. Now, we don't have control over that timing. We don't know when that will happen. It may not be until the judgment seat of Christ. But we know this, that the way up is down. In fact, let me give you the most extreme example. The most extreme example of the person who lowered themselves more than anyone who has ever lived has lowered themselves and will be exalted higher than anyone who has ever lived will be exalted. Philippians chapter 2, are you there? Look at verse 5. Notice what the Bible says. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Here's what it means. He's going to tell us, this is how you should live your life. This is what your mindset should be like. This is how Christ was, and this is how we should be. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What, what mind is that? What, what reference point is that? What type of thinking is that? Look at verse 6. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now, if you've got a modern Bible version and you don't have a King James Bible, your Bible says something different. It says, being in the form of God, thought it that not that he was able to be equal with God. That's not what the Bible says. Jesus is God. The Bible's clear about that. The Bible says here, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. What does that mean? That means that when Jesus made himself equal with God, when Jesus said, I and my Father are one, when Jesus uh, gave statements of deity, when he gave the great seven I am statements of deity, he wasn't taking anything that didn't already belong to him. He wasn't robbing anything from God because he was God who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now, here's the context. Jesus, who was God, he says, he he wants to make sure we understand how far he lowered himself. He was God in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. How low did he go? Verse 7. But made himself of no reputation. Jesus never walked into a restaurant and said, do you know who I am? 
Don't sit me here by the bathroom. You know, give me the, the, the VIP section. No, the Bible says he made himself of no reputation. In fact, he would heal people and he would tell them, hey, don't tell anybody. Don't, don't, go, don't go tell people who I am. Don't go, you know, don't make a big deal about it. Bible says, but made himself of no reputation. Notice this. And took upon him the form of a servant. Look, God became a man, and not just any man, because men like their reputations, but he made himself of no reputation. Men like to be lords and like to be served, but he took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, notice these words, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That's a very lowering place to be. I mean, who would you rather be in, our, in your flesh? Who would you rather be? The guy that has the bodyguards who are going to, you know, jump in front of a bullet to save his life, right? I mean, like the President of the United States, you know, the Secret Service is supposed to be able to, like, jump in front of him and, and, and sacrifice themselves and take a bullet. Would you rather be the guy who people are sacrificing themselves for, or would you rather be the guy who's, ju- who's jumping in and taking the bullet? Jesus, you know, he should have been, he was God. But yet he lowered himself to the place where he had no reputation. He had uh, the form of a servant, and he even humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He died not for his own sins. That would be better. He had no sins. He died for your sins. And there is no lower state than that. I mean, we have the most extreme example here. God in the flesh at the highest point of exaltation, lowered himself to the lowest point of exaltation. But wait a minute. There's a spiritual law. The way up is down. And when he lowered himself, it's only a matter of time. Look at verse 9. Wherefore. What does that word mean? Wherefore means for that reason. As a result of. He says, wherefore. For that reason. For what reason? For the reason that Jesus, who was in the form of God and thought it not robbery to be equal with God, he lowered himself, he humbled himself, he took the form of a servant, he made himself of no reputation, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He says, wherefore, notice these words, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is, don't miss it, Our Jehovah's Witness friends need to learn this verse. Hath given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, there's coming a day, the Bible says, there's coming a day when Jesus, at the feet of Jesus, every knee, every human being, and I believe this is the, uh, uh, the time known as the great white throne judgment of God, when every knee, whether they, whether they said they believe in God or not, whether they said they were atheists, whether they said they were a different religion, whether they rejected, it doesn't matter. The Bible says there's coming a day when God in the flesh, who lowered himself to the most extreme, will be exalted to the highest extreme, where every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
to the glory of God the Father. Here's what I have to tell people. You're going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord whether you like it or not. You might as well do it while you can still get saved. Because at the great white throne, you'll be saying it right before you get cast into hell. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5, if you would. If you start at the end of the New Testament, you head backwards. You have Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd, and 1st Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5. We saw these verses last week, but I want you to see them again. Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd, and 1st Peter. Here's what we learned. We learned this, that the way up is down. The way up is down. It's a spiritual law. You want God to exalt you? You want God to magnify you? You want God to reward you? You want God to favor you? You want God to bless you? You want God to help you? You can be a Haman who says, I want that ring. I want that royal apparel. I want that crown. I'm going to do everything I can to get it. But here's the thing, Haman. The way down is up. Because pride goes before destruction. Because a man's pride will bring him low. Because when pride cometh, then cometh shame. But on the flip side, the way up is down. 1 Peter chapter 5, are you there? Look at verse 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. People have a lot of problems with the word submit. Here we're told that the younger should submit unto the elder. We're told that church members should submit unto their pastor. And obviously pastors should not lord over God's heritage. But in a spiritual sense, you should obey them that have the rule over you, the Bible says. The Bible says that children should obey their parents and that wives should submit to their husbands. And people often, they, they, they buck back at that and they buckle at that and they don't like that idea. Well, let me tell you something. If you don't like that idea, then you don't like Jesus Christ. Because he was obedient unto death. You, you act like submission. Submitting is a bad word. Oh, really? Because the fact that Jesus submitted himself is why he will one day be exalted. I think we'll be surprised one day. We'll get to heaven one day. And all the big name preachers and all the big uh, famous pastors you know are going to be receiving their uh, rewards. And you might be shocked how many rewards some little pastor's wife you never heard of. Some godly uh, sister in Christ you never knew of, but she was just submissive, and she was obedient, and she had a meek and quiet spirit, and she just served the Lord. Hey, that's what it's like to be Christ-like. I want to be the famous preacher that everybody knows about. Really? Because Jesus made himself of no reputation. Because Jesus submitted himself even unto death. Notice verse 5 again. Likewise, he's younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. And be clothed with humility. We talked about it last week. For God resists the proud and giveth grace unto the humble. The way down is up. Notice verse 6. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. What do we learn in this chapter? What do we learn in this story? Here's what we learn. The way up is down. You want to be exalted? You want to be blessed? Hey, Stop being so stinking proud. Lower yourself and humble yourself. Yeah, but if I humble myself, they'll take advantage of me like they took advantage of Christ. But if I humble myself, they won't know who I am like they didn't know who Jesus Christ was. But if I humble you, I deserve more like Jesus deserved more. Here's what I'm telling you. Jesus for a time humbled himself, but there's coming a day when every knee shall bow. 
Mordecai for a time humbled himself, but there came a day when everybody knew. Here's all I'm telling you. It's a spiritual law. You can do whatever you want with it, but the spiritual law is this. The way up is down. So lower yourself. Humble yourself. Bible says that we are not to think too highly of ourselves. Keep your place there in Philippians. If you kept your place in Philippians, go back to the book of Esther, if you would. Esther chapter number 8. There's three lessons in this chapter we can learn. Number one, the way up is down. And the way down is up. Mordecai got everything Haman wanted. And when we humble ourselves, God will exalt us as well. Here's lesson number two. Notice verse 3. And Esther spake yet again before the king and fell down at his feet and besought him with tears. I want you to notice these words. To put away, to put away the mischief of Haman, the Agagite, and his device that he had devised against the Jews. Then the king held out the golden scepter toward Esther, like we'd seen him do earlier. So Esther arose and stood before the king and said, If it please the king, because remember, she can't bring a request before the king. The king has to show his grace and his favor. She comes and bows before him and says, will you put away the mischief of Haman and his device device that he had devised against the Jews? And the king puts out his scepter and he's telling Esther, I'm for you. You have my favor. I I want to help you. Look at verse 5. And said, this is Esther speaking to Ahasuerus, if it please the king, if I have found favor, favor in his sight, and the things seem right before the king, and I be pleasing in his eyes, let it be written, notice these words, to reverse the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, which he wrote to destroy the Jews, which are in all the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the evil that shall come unto my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? I want you to notice that there is an emphasis here by Esther for the king. And it is this, that he would put away, verse 3, the mischief of Haman. And that he would reverse the letters devised by Haman, verse 5. Remember, Haman wrote letters, passed laws, signed them with the king's ring, that the Jews should be killed. And Esther is asking, can you put that away? Can you reverse that? Can you take it away? Can you make it all go away? Go to the book of Daniel, if you would. Daniel chapter number 6. I have to kind of lay a little bit of a context, a little bit of a historical context for you to understand this. Uh, Daniel chapter 6. If you go towards the end of the Old Testament, you have those big major books of the Bible. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Then you have the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 6, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Daniel chapter 6. What is it that Esther is asking? Esther is facing opposition. Esther is facing a very bad situation. And she is asking that the king would reverse it, that the king would put it away, that the king would take it away. And isn't that what we all want when we face opposition? I mean, when things happen in your life and God is allowing troubles in your life and trials and tribulations, isn't that how we all pray, Lord, make it go away? 
Lord, make that, uh, make that uh, uh, debt go away. Lord, make that situation go away. Lord, heal me and make that go away. Heal my family member. Make that go away. You know, there's this problem at work. There's this problem in my marriage. There's this problem with my children. There, I mean, isn't that generally how we pray? Lord, I've got this problem. Will you reverse it? Will you put it away? Will you take it away? Isn't that what we all kind of want? That God would take away all our problems? That's what Esther wanted. King, can you just put it away? Can you just disannul it? Can you just reverse it? There's a problem, though. The problem is that the Medo-Persians had a law. And the law was this, that once a law was passed, it could not be taken away. This is highlighted for us in the book of Daniel. Daniel was under the same government structure. We'll look at it in Daniel. Remember the famous story of Daniel in the lion's den? Very similar in the way, different king, Darius, but very similar in the way that the enemies of Daniel have talked the king into passing a law because they knew that Daniel prayed consistently and faithfully three times a day to Jehovah God. I mean, that should put us all to shame. Imagine if our prayer life was that consistent, that they could pass a law against it based off our prayer routine. That's who Daniel was. Maybe that's why Daniel was one of the greatest men in the Bible. They passed a law against Daniel's prayer time. Knowing, and look, the king loved Daniel. Like Ahasuerus, he was manipulated and talked into this. Daniel chapter 6, look at verse 12. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Has thou not signed a decree? Because he signed a decree. Then they go and find Daniel praying. Now they come back to the king and they say, Has thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within 30 days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true. According to the law of the Medes and the Persians, notice these words, which altereth not. See, once the king realized that this law was going to be used against Daniel, who he loved, he actually began to mourn Daniel. He loved Daniel. But there was nothing the king could do about it. Because the law of the Medes and the Persians is this, which altereth not. Once it's passed, it can't be put away. It can't be reversed. Look at verse 15. Then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, No, O king, because the king actually stays up all night. We're not going to take the time to read the whole chapter. He stays up all night trying to figure out, is there a way to deliver Daniel, to not make Daniel have to go into the lion's den? Then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and the Persians is that no decree nor statute which the king establisheth may be changed. Daniel has to go into the lion's den. The law cannot be reversed. Keep your finger right there in Daniel. We're going to come right back to it. Go back to Esther chapter 8. In Esther 8, Esther makes a request, which is a similar request to all the requests that you and I make whenever we pray. Can you take it away, God? Can you take it away? And look, we understand that God is all-powerful and God is all-natural, all-supernatural. He's omniscient and omnipotent. But in the same way that Ahasuerus could not take away the decree because his law, the law got in his way, sometimes God can't take away. 
the problems we're going through because there's a law of sin that warreth against our members. See, the Bible says that God is not a man that he should lie. The Bible says that God cannot lie. See, when, when, God, when God made a decree, the wages of sin is death in the Garden of Eden. Here soon we're going to start up our doctrinal series again on Sunday nights, and I'm going to preach a sermon on, uh, on the, the doctrine of the fall of man, but I'll give you a little preview right now. When God made a decree saying the wages of sin is death, and then Satan capitalized on that decree and beguiled mankind into sinning against God, God couldn't just say, oh, well, you know, I'll make an exception for you. The law of sin cannot be annulled. The law of sin cannot be taken away. And by the way, I'm not trying to discourage you, but you just need to understand this. Just because you got saved doesn't mean it takes away all the other stuff you've done in life. You still reap what you sow. The way down is still up, and the way up is still down, and there's still consequences as a result of our sin. And we come to God sometimes and say, God, I know I've made a mess of things, and I know I've done all sorts of things. Lord, but can you just take it away? And like Ahasuerus, when he leans his scepter towards Esther and says, I love you, Esther. I have favor towards you, and I want to help you. But the answer is no. See, the king did not have the power to reverse the letters. Esther asks this question of the king. He says, she says, can you put it away? Can you reverse the letter? And like Daniel found out, the answer is no. The law of the land did not allow the reversal for Esther, and the law of sin often does not allow a reversal for us. So, well, what do we do? Look at verse 7, Esther chapter 8, verse 7. Keep your finger in Daniel. You've got your place in Philippians, Daniel, and Esther. Esther chapter 8, look at verse 7. Then the king Ahasuerus said unto Esther the queen and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and him they have hanged upon the gallows because he laid his hand upon the Jews. Write ye also for the Jews. Here's what he says. I can't take away the previous law, but I can pass a new law. I can't take away the old law, but I already gave you my ring. I already gave you his house. He says, why don't you do this? Verse 8, write ye also, in addition to Haman's law, write ye also for the Jews as it liketh you. He says, Whatever, what you think is best, what you like, in the king's name. He says, I'll give you my authority. I'll give you my power. I'll back you up in the king's name and seal it with the king's ring for the writing which is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's ring may no man reverse. He says, we can't reverse the previous law, but we can pass another law that no man can reverse. He says, and when you pass that law and when you pass that law, it'll carry my weight, my authority, my power, my resources. In the king's name, seal it with the king's ring. Look at verse 9. Then were the king's scribes called. At that time, in the third month, that is the month Sivan, on the three and twentieth day thereof, and it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded unto the Jews, and to, notice, notice, I don't, I don't want you to miss this, okay? This can get a little wordy uh, in, in this passage, but I want you to understand. He said, we're going to pass a new law, which Mordecai commanded unto the Jews, but it's not just to the Jews, it's also to the lieutenants, military term, <clears throat> and the deputies, 
law enforcement term, and the rulers, political term, of the provinces, which are from India unto Ethiopia, his entire kingdom, in 127 provinces unto every province, according to the writing thereof, and unto every people after their languages, and to the Jews according to their writing, and according to their languages. And he wrote, verse 10, in the king Ahasuerus' name, with the king's authority, and sealed it with the king's ring, and sent letters by post on horseback, and riders on mules, camels, and young dromedaries, wherein the king granted the Jews, which were in every city, to gather themselves together, and to stand for their lives, to destroy, to slay, and to cause to perish all the power of the people and providence that would assault them, both little ones and women, and to take the spoil of them for a prey upon one day, in all the provinces of the king of namely upon the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month Adar, the copy of the writing for a commandment to be given in every providence was published unto all the people, and the Jews should be ready against that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. Look at verse 14. So the post that rode upon the mules and camels went out, being hastened and pressed on by the king's commandment, and the decree was given at Shushan the palace. Later on in the chapter, we're told... The fear of the Jews fell upon the people. You say, what's happening here? Here's what's happening. Haman passed a law that said on a certain day, the Jews are free game. You can hunt them, you can kill them, and nothing will happen to you. Esther says, king, can you put that away? Can you reverse it? And the king says, I can't. The law will not allow me. But here's what I can do. I can pass a new law. You say, what will that do? Here's what that'll do. It'll give you the power to fight back. And in fact, I'll give you my leverage. I'll give you my lieutenant. I'll give you my deputies. I'll give you my rulers. I'll give you my weapons. I'll give you my resources. I can't take it away, Esther, but I can help you through it. You know what's the second lesson we can learn from this chapter? That God will not always take away our problems, but he will help us through them. See, you and I, we're constantly praying, God, take it away. God, take it away. God, take it away. And sometimes God says, I can't take it away. The law of sin will not let me take it away. I can't just turn your husband into a robot and make him do what you want. I can't just turn your wife into a robot and make her act the way you want. I can't just turn your kid. I can't just turn your butt. God says, the law of sin, the law of free will does not allow me to take it away. But I can help you through it. But I can come alongside you and you can leverage my power and my resources. You can leverage my grace and my favor. You can leverage my power. See, what we learn in this chapter is this, that God will not always take away our problems. In fact, sometimes people quit on God because God won't take away their problems. And God says, the same reason I can't take away your problems is the same reason my son had to die on the cross. I couldn't just look the other way. An exception could not be made. But I can help you through it. Go back to Daniel chapter 3 if you would. Daniel chapter 3. Remember the famous story in the book of Daniel of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They got in trouble for the same reason Mordecai got in trouble. They wouldn't bow to the king. Remember Nebuchadnezzar built a great image and said everybody must bow to it, and they refused to bow. Nebuchadnezzar brings them and says, hey, you guys, you need to bow or I'm going to throw you into a fiery furnace. I'm going to burn you alive if you don't bow. Daniel chapter 3, verse 17. Here's the answer Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego gave the king. They said, if it be so, if it be so, 
If you throw us into the fiery furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. You know what they said? They said, our God can put away and reverse anything you try to do to us, Nebuchadnezzar. But they didn't have this faulty prosperity gospel philosophy that says, once I get saved, God's going to make everything bad go away. They said, hey, our God is able. We don't know that he will deliver us, but we know this. He's able to deliver us. Hey, do you know that if God doesn't take away your problem and God is able to take away your problem, there's a reason why God is not taking it away? If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. And then they go on to say, but if he doesn't deliver us, we're still not going to bow. And you know the story. God didn't deliver them. They got thrown into that fiery furnace. And you and I might walk away from our faith at that point and say, God, you failed us. You allowed us to get thrown. We asked you to not to, to take away, to put away, to reverse the fiery furnace. And yet we find ourselves being thrown into the fiery furnace. But wait a minute. Look at verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished. It means astonished. And rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? I said, guys, didn't we cast three guys in there? They answered and said unto the king, true, O king. And he answered and said, lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like unto the Son of God. See, sometimes God wants to deliver us from our problems, but sometimes God wants you to go into the fiery furnace, and you can pray and say, I don't want to go in the fiery furnace. Don't throw me into the fiery furnace. And God says, no, no, I'm not going to take the fiery furnace to go away, but I'm going to go in there with you. I'm going to walk in with you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. You know a lesson we learn from this chapter? First lesson is this, the way up is down. Second lesson is this, God may not always take away your problems, but when he doesn't, he does promise to walk with you through them. Ahasuerus didn't say, Esther, you're on your own. Ahasuerus said, I'll help you. I can't reverse it. But I'll leverage my power and my resources and my strength and my authority to help you. And you know that there is a God in heaven who says, I am a very present help in time of need. And look, when you pray, and I'm not saying you shouldn't pray this way, and I pray this way, and I think it's fine. When you and I pray, like the Apostle Paul prayed when he said that I besought the Lord thrice. He said I, I had three different seasons of prayer. I mean, we're talking about the Apostle Paul, a man who healed other people, a man who raised people from the dead. He said, I had a thorn in the flesh. He said, I had some sort of a sickness or ailment in my body, and I prayed that God would heal me. And the answer was no. But God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. In weakness, my strength is made perfect. And sometimes, sometimes God says, I can't take away your problems, but I'll walk with you through them. I can help you through them. Number three, go back to Esther, if you would, Esther chapter eight. We're looking at these lessons from chapter eight. What are they? Lesson number one, the way up is down. You want to be exalted? Lower yourself. And by the way, the way down is up. You want to be brought down? Exalt yourself. 
Lesson number two is this, that God will not take away our problems. God will not always take our problems away, but he will help us through them. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Here's lesson number three. Look at verse 15. And Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white with the great crown of gold and with a garment of fine linen and purple and the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. We read that. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. Notice verse 17. And in every province and in every city, whithersoever the king commanded, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a good day. Notice these words. And many of the people of the land became Jews, for the fear of the Jews fell upon them. In order to understand this, go go to the book of Philippians, if you would. If you kept your place in Philippians, go to Philippians chapter number 1. In order to understand this, you have to understand what it means to be a Jew. Oftentimes, when we think of being a Jew, we think of an ethnicity. And this is not a Bible word, but oftentimes we'll think of a, a race. And being a Jew, or being a Hebrew, we should say, a descendant of Abraham, is an ethnicity. But being a Jew is actually also a religion. And I don't want to get into the details, but in the Old Testament, the Jews were God's chosen people. We understand that in the New Testament, there has been a change to that, and there has been an, uh, uh, something added to that. That's why we have the New Testament, and I'm not going to get into that theology. But the point is this. When the Bible says here that many of the people of the land in the Old Testament became Jews, what we're seeing here is that people were converted to be followers and believers of the God of Mordecai and Esther. They got saved. Say, what does that have to do with anything? You know, it's interesting because in Esther chapter 8, you often find that people, like I said in my introduction, will think the story's over in chapter 8. It's really exciting when Vashti is getting removed and Esther is being put in her place. It's really exciting when Mordecai is helping the king and not getting credit for it. It's really exciting when Haman becomes the Jew's enemy and creates his plan, devises it against the Jew. It's really exciting when God works on the other side on behalf of Mordecai and Haman. It's really exciting when Haman hangs and, and Mordecai is lifted up and Esther is protected. All that is really exciting. Then we get to chapter 8. And it's like, oh, it's all this stuff about the Jews defending themselves. What's interesting to me is that I kind of tend to think that in Esther chapter 8 and verse 17, we actually find the climax of the book. The reason for the book. You say, what was the reason for the book? I mean, have you ever thought about what's the point of the book of Esther? I mean, it's a really interesting story that God gave us and we appreciate it. But I mean, what is the point of putting this orphan girl through this? We, we talked about it, remember, in a previous chapter, a previous sermon, 
a series of unfortunate events. Mordecai is taken captive. Esther's parents are dead. She's raised by her uncle who becomes her father. She's taken from his home and forced to be uh, at best a concubine and by the providence of, uh, at worst a concubine I should say, and by the providence of God is chosen as the queen of Esther. She was brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. All these negative things happen to bring her to the kingdom. But why did God bring her to the kingdom? He brought her to the kingdom so that Haman would be hanged, so that Mordecai would be lifted up, and so that Esther chapter 8 verse 17 would be true that many of the people of the land became Jews. Here's lesson number three. The goal, the goal for God, not you. Because you, you, my, you, my goal and your goal, you know what my goal and your goal are generally? That I have a nice house, that I have a comfortable life, that, you know, everything goes well, that God reverses and puts away all of my problems, right? Those are all of our goals. The American dream. Dog and two cars and, and, and a 401k. You know what God's goal is? To get as many people saved as possible. Here's lesson number three. It may be, it may be that the goal for everything that has happened in your life is to bring you and others to Christ. You ever thought about that? What if all the bad things, I mean, Esther could say, now I see, I didn't like it. I didn't like it that my parents died. I didn't like it that Mordecai who raised me was taken captive. I didn't like it that I was then taken from Mordecai and brought into the kingdom and kidnapped basically and forced to become the queen. I didn't like it that Haman uh, then put his target on our back. I didn't like any of that, but now I see that all of that, all of that was bringing us to this place that many of the people of the land became Jews. What if every bad thing that's happened in your life has been a step towards you getting saved, your family getting saved, and others getting saved? So, well, that's not my goal. That doesn't mean that's not God's goal. The goal is for everything in our lives to be used to bring people to Christ. You know who understood this really well? The greatest evangelist, soul winner, other than the Lord Jesus Christ who ever lived, the Apostle Paul. Notice what Paul says, Philippians chapter 1. Now, I want you to remember that the book of Philippians is written from a prison cell. Paul is in prison, and he's very happy about it. All throughout the book of Philippians, he keeps saying, rejoice, rejoice, joy. (laughs) Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Notice what Paul says, talking to his friends, talking to his brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, but I would ye should understand, brethren that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. 
See, his friends are like, but God, why did you let Paul go to prison? And God, why are you allowing all these things to happen to Paul? And God, you know, Paul's your choice of servant. God, Paul, no one's doing anything more than Paul is for you. Why is he in prison? And, and Paul says, no, no, I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. You say, what do you mean, Paul? Verse 13, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace. God told me when I got saved back in Book of Acts, God told me I was going to preach to kings. And see, I'm not saying Paul thought this, but here's what I would have thought. I would have thought, oh, well, you know, I'm going to get an invitation one day, and they're going to bring a limo, they're going to roll out a red carpet, I'm going to walk into the White House, and I'm going to get to preach to kings. Paul said, God had a different idea. They put me in prison in Rome. And they, they chained me to human beings. And every eight hours, they would chain me to a different human being. They thought I was captive. They didn't realize they were captive. And I got to preach the gospel to the soldiers who knew the servants who live in Caesar's household, who knew the people in this area. He says, no, no, no. I want you to understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bond. He said, not only did I get to preach to people in this city, preach to people in the palace, he said, but people heard of me get, being in prison. And as a result of hearing of my trials, they are waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some, he says, look, I realize not everybody has their heart in the right place. Some indeed preach Christ uh, of, uh, uh, even of envy. I mean, think about that. Paul said, I, I know that some people just want to be like me because I'm in prison for the cause of Christ. I mean, how cool is that? He said, he said I, I, I know that some indeed preach Christ of envy and strife. He said, I know. By the way, let, let me let you know a little secret for the new IFP. I know that some guys only get into the ministry because they see all the fights that we fight. And they say, I want to get in on that fight. And is that necessarily the best reason? I don't think so. But here's what Paul said. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife. And some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, fightings. Some people say, I just want to get, I just want to get to church like Verity Baptist because I want to fight the sodomites. The one preached Christ of contentions, not sincerely, not genuinely, not authentically, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but that the, he says, but the other of love. He says, some people do it for the wrong reasons. Some people do it for the right reasons. But the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. Verse 18, what then? He said, let me tell you what I think about this. Here's what I think. Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense, what does that mean? Whether it's fake, whether it's not genuine or in truth, Christ is preached and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Paul, why are you so happy in prison? Because everything that happened, the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. You're there in Philippians. Flip to the last chapter. Look at the last uh, 
uh, second to last verse in the last chapter, Philippians chapter 4, verse 22. Philippians chapter 4, verse 22. Notice how Paul ends his letter. He says, all the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. He said, I got them. <laughs> From a prison cell, I got them. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. You know what Paul learned? Here's what Paul learned. That the goal is for everything in our lives to be used to bring people to Christ. So whenever you're praying, Lord, take it away! Lord, take it away! Lord, take it away! And God says, no. Realize that God may be using that to bring you or your family or your friends or your co-workers or your neighbors or somebody else to Christ. Why did all these things happen to Esther and Mordecai? God used it in his providential plan that in every providence and in every city, many of the people of the land became Jews. What if every problem, every trial, every issue, every contention, everything you're asking God to take away is actually something that God can use? That in every providence and in every city, many of the people of the land might become saved. Here's what we learn in this chapter. That the way up is down. Here's what we learn in this chapter. That God will not take away our problems. Not always. But he will always help us through them. And here's what we learn in this chapter. That the goal is for everything in our lives to be used to bring people to Christ. And when you tell your story and when I tell my story and people are pitying us and feeling sorry and saying, I'm so sorry this happened to you. Would to God that we could say like the Apostle Paul, but I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father. Lord, we thank you for this chapter. We thank you for these stories. Lord, we thank you for these examples that you've given us to teach us that though sometimes we don't understand, you are always at work on the other side. Lord, help us to remember that the way up is down. Help us to remember that you may not always take away our problems, but you'll help us walk through them. And that your goal is to use our lives to bring people to you. And help us to rejoice in that. Help us to find joy in the fact that the things that have happened unto us may have happened for the furtherance of the gospel. Maybe there's a lot of heartache, but as a result, my family got saved. My children got saved. My spouse got saved. I got saved. Lord, help us to trust in you. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.